Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is one of the highlights of my career. It happened on Tuesday night, April 30th, on Jeopardy. 80s TV for 800. Ken Levine and David Isaacs penned The Boys in the Bar and the last Angry Mailman episodes of this sitcom. Sarah. What is Cheers? Yes. Well, how cool is that? I mean, I can die now. Anyway, uh, I played that because I've been playing it a lot. And it also is a nice lead-in to my guest this week and next, Jennifer Quayle. Have you ever wanted to go on Jeopardy? Have you ever wanted to win $228,000 in eight days? Well, Jennifer Quayle did just that last year, and hopefully she's going to win uh, a little bit more money because in all likelihood she'll be invited back to the Tournament of Champions that they will hold later this year, pandemic permitting. Well, she is my guest, and if you ever wanted to know what it is like to be a contestant, what happens behind the scenes, strategy, etc., these next two weeks are the ones for you. Note, this is another Zoom interview, and there's a couple of occasional glitches on my microphone. Okay, I've been doing this now for, uh, this is what, my third or fourth uh, Zoom interview. I'm going to get this right eventually. Hollywood and the Well, let's start with the qualifying process because there are a number of steps and it wasn't smooth sailing for you, was it? Uh, for, yeah, I auditioned for Jeopardy four times. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I I tried out every 18 months I took the test and so however many years that was, I think I had a different employer. I was waiting for them to be like, haven't we seen you before and weren't you working for so-and-so the last time? But um, they see so many people, I'm sure they didn't remember. But so you passed the test, the written every test. Every time I took the test four times, I passed it each time. I was invited to audition four times. I did it three times in Chicago and once in Boston. And the fourth time in Chicago, I, I've been telling people the secret is apparently talk about cruising and wine with Glenn if he's your interviewer because um, that's the only thing I can think of. I did that or I really did terribly on the tests or something. Um, Yeah, what do they normally ask you? They just try to find out kind of your personality? Yeah, I think what they do, and and having done it a few times, not as as many as some some people. I heard one person naming no names audition nine times before he got on, but um, he, he did very well, so it was okay, but... 
I, I think when you get to that interview portion, they call you up for a mock game three at a time. And then they, you play a few questions and they ask you the same kind of things Alex would. And I think what they really want to see is, are you going to choke? Can you talk back? Are you comfortable if they joke with you? Cause you know, Alex likes to pick on the contestants a lot. So they don't right. to, if he thinks you're going to respond well, he'll, he'll go in and make jokes. And they don't want somebody who's going to freeze or, or get really insulted. So I think they're just kind of testing to see, okay, if, if we put you on television, you can stand up there and just freeze and, and, and not be able to move. So I, but they never tell you what they're looking for. So I don't know. <laughs> so you, you do that fourth interview. How long afterwards did you get the call? Uh, it was actually about three weeks, a little under a month. Uh, I was in Chicago for the audition the last weekend of August, and I was on vacation the first couple weeks of September. And about halfway through, I turned my phone on in in Newfoundland and looked at my messages and I had um, call from Los Angeles and messages to call, call Glenn Kagan about my Jeopardy application. So it was a really short wait actually on that one. The other times, you know, I sat for the 18 months, never heard anything. There comes a point when you figure if you don't hear from them, then yeah, probably nothing. Yeah. Although there was one uh, player at my taping date, she said this was her 17th month in the contestant pool. So one more month after she got the call, after she got the call and she would have had to go back and take the test again. So they, they must just, they must have a system, but they will never tell us what it is. I'm sure that's, but this time right. it was right away. They three weeks, I had to come back from my vacation and tell my boss, remember how I needed a weekend off um, on short notice to go audition for Jeopardy? Trick or treat. Uh, two <laughs> weeks from now, can I have the middle of the week off to fly to California? And my boss was yeah, like, yes, absolutely. When do you need to go? Will you have to go back? Uh, yeah, she was she was very accommodating, but I felt kind of bad of, all right, I had to ask for a day off. I just had a vacation. Guess what? <laughs> but it, it worked <laughs> out, obviously. And, and my, my employer was really, really nice about everything, too, so... So from the time that they told you you're going to be a contestant and the time they were going to fly you out to Los Angeles was how long and what did you do to prepare? It was about three, three weeks again. Um, I taped the first week of October and I had, had gotten the call about the second week of September, so a little under a month again. And honestly... Other than play a lot of pub trivia on my cruise, which, you know, no pressure or anything, but the the couple I was playing with a lot immediately started telling other people who would join us, oh, and she's going to be on Jeopardy. But I, I played a lot of pub trivia. I, I figured it was a little like the test. If I didn't know something at this point, there's no way to know everything they could possibly ask me. So just... You know, my, my, my coworkers, my boss would do things. Um, while he texted me at like seven o'clock at night, one night, what was Elton John's first number one single in the U S and like, what the heck? Your song. Um, it was actually crocodile rock, but I could, that was his first, Oh, number one. Yeah. In the U S too. So Wally's like, he he plays that kind of music downstairs. Damn. And I bet $3,600 for that one. (laughs) (laughs) That was the million-dollar question. Is that your final answer? No. <laughs> Other, wrong show. 
But so yeah. you, you you get out to Los Angeles, and uh, I, I assume they put you up. <laughs> um, they, they they give you the Sony discount at the DoubleTree. Let me say, there's a lot of Jeopardy contestants on Facebook really excited when DoubleTree released their cookie recipe because half the fun is most of us stay at the DoubleTree Culver City and everybody loves the cookies. So the Jeopardy groups were all kind of all of a sudden, hey, if you wanted the cookies, there's the recipe now. Now we know the mystery. Did you know a lot of the other contestants as a result of this? Uh, I do now. Um, There's actually a really big community. And if you pay attention on some of the official sites and on Twitter, you, you can see a lot of us kind of there's a camaraderie. We all know what it's what it was like to be on the show, whether you're one and done or whether you return you're returning multiple returning champion. And so you don't know when you get out there though, unless you happen to run into somebody who is at one of your auditions. On the morning before when you leave for taping, when you're all down in the lobby at, at six in the morning, it's kind of easy to spot who else is waiting for the the Sony van because we're all sitting around with our little garment bags or a little satchel with our, our extra clothing and we're all trying to study at the last minute. So you can you can pick out who else is going with you pretty fast. And then the guessing games become, okay, who's the returning champion? Are they here? But yeah, once you're once you've been on the show though, you're you're all kept together so much that you you kind of there's there's a bond. And it was funny because I did on my second day of taping run into somebody who, who was a mutual, we have mutual friends. Um, and she, she had been watching me tape an episode based on something Alex had said to me afterwards. She's like, Oh, do you know Helen? I'm good. Yes. How do you know Helen? And it was about a star Wars group that we both belong to. And she works with a friend of mine in New York. So it was weird. We knew the same people we'd never met. So we, we weren't going to be competing as people we knew, but um, it was just a very strange coincidence. And a lot of, of the people that we tape with or that who've been on the show before online, there's groups that we, we kind of have our own private hidden groups. And then on Twitter, like if somebody, if, if the, the public, the people, people can be really mean to players about very random things, what you wear, what you look like, how you performed. Yeah, welcome to the age of social media. Yeah, don't read the comment section. Never read the comment section. Right. Yeah. Um, but like when when there was a lady on recently, she had a lot of buzzer trouble and some people were starting to pick on her and the, the people who dogpiled them were all of us who've been there. It's like, if you think you are going to go do so much better, go ahead and audition, make it all the way through the audition process, get on the show and see how you do and then you can pick on her. Right. Well, they do five shows at a time and so how much clothes do you have to bring with you <laughs> are, are, are you are you very <laughs> are you very confident and bring five changes of clothing i was not and i'm amazed i think the that wearing the same piece of jewelry the whole time which was, was a complete accident the neck and i had another necklace with me and i was going to switch them but the chain broke in the green room so i had just the one i think that distracted people from realizing Sweater, blouse, dress, sweater with cardigan over it, blouse, dress. I, I had like the three changes of clothing they say to bring and that was it. And I don't, I think everybody kind of is like, well, I don't want to jinx it. And if you change up stuff, we, you, you can't all be James Holtower and just wear the same sweater and the whole time. But Right. Yeah. I wonder if they said to Ken Jennings, bring 74 changes of clothes. 
<laughs> well, he did have a season gap in there, but figured that's okay, Ken. Just change your tie every time like Alex does. Nobody will notice. <laughs> exactly. So when you get there, is there any pre-coaching? What do they tell you beforehand? Well, we get in there. They meet us at the gate and take us into the studio and we come into the green room. There's more paperwork to do. That's one thing you will fill out so much paperwork when you're on Jeopardy. There's stacks and stacks of the legal documents and the tax things. Then they have, they go over the rules with you again, because we've gone over them at the auditions and we've all seen the show. Cause I don't think there's anybody who'd audition to be on Jeopardy without you know having seen it at least a few times. They go into the details, what will happen if there's a tie. Um, and then uh, the lawyer will come in and she will tell you about um, the legal rules that she has to go over. Um, when to compl- If you have a complaint about a ruling, when you can do that, how they make sure it's fair for everybody. Then we do get a rehearsal. We get taken into the studio, which is freezing cold. We always look like we're bundled up on the show. Yeah, there's a reason for that. They tell you wear layers because it's going to be cold. And it's even worse first thing in the morning before it's all filled up with the audience. When you walk through that door, though, it's a meat locker the first the first hour or so. And then we all get up on stage. If it's your first time, if you're not returning, you have to film your hometown howdy, which is a little bumper segment they do for your local affiliate. And you have to stand behind a podium they read something about, I don't even remember what it is about, you know, this so-and-so from whatever town you're from is a contestant on Jeopardy. You have to fake ring in and say, who, like, who is Jennifer Quayle? That's me. And if John doesn't think you're perky enough, you have to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) But I, my second day, my second morning, I'm like, I don't have to do these, right? I did this yesterday. It's like, nope. I'm like, I'm going to go sit down. You guys have fun because I felt like an idiot the first time I did that. And (laughs) I don't need to do that again. But yeah, then we go through and there is a, a, they walk you through the podiums, the risers that are behind the podiums for those of us who are short anyway, uh, which was fun. One of my matches, I was playing two gentlemen who were both over six feet tall. I was sincerely concerned I was going to fall off the... the, Oh, because they would just raise up your riser so that you were at the same level? Yep, that's so the camera that's across from us that films that paint... like like It's the one that pans, I think it's camera two, pans across when we're doing Final Jeopardy. Mm -hmm. That way they don't have to raise it up and down. So they just make sure we're all at about the same level. But with this particular match, I'm in two-inch heels and I'm still about eight inches off the stage floor and I'm... And John's like, don't step down till we lower you. Just wait until at the end, wait till we're done and then step down. because We don't want anybody getting hurt. I, I swear they tell you more times on that show. Don't trip. Be careful. Be careful. We're going up three steps onto the stage. And they're like, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Nobody trip. And finally asked, did does somebody trip? They said, oh, yes. We've had, we've had people do face plants coming down from here. Over on Dancing with the Stars, they're going... All right, you've never danced before and you're wearing suede shoes. Jump down this six-foot-high staircase and just jump all the way down to the stage. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. As luck would have it, I happened to be in the audience for three of your shows where you won. And they sat me, for some reason, they, they sat me like in the front row of the contestant section, which is on the right side. So I was on the side that you guys were. And, um, and I have to tell you, for me, 
It was kind of hard to read the board, to read the clues. Did you have trouble reading the clues? No, actually, that that was why I wore my glasses, because I do have more trouble distance reading when I have contacts in. Some, somebody commented, always wears the same glasses. I'm like, yeah, they're prescription. They're not for fun. I didn't have too much trouble because it actually doesn't feel as far away as they warned us it was going to be. But I could usually read them. And the speed reading is an advantage because I had finished reading the clue long before Alex finished speaking. And Which in the Jeff the Jeff Goldblum category, I had finished reading, gone back, read it a second time, translated it into something just for fun. No, not quite. Jeff Goldblum's category, he did read quite slowly, though. And uh-huh. being able to speed read that is is pretty, pretty helpful. There's also a larger monitor off to the left of the board, too. So especially for things like a video daily double or a picture, we aren't having to squint at the little ordinary size monitor. We've got a big one over to the left that we can look at. That's why you sometimes see people looking off to the to the side when you're watching from home. It was better than I had, had worried it might be. Right. So you don't get a chance to talk to Alex until you are on the air, which, you know, you understand for, you know, the quiz show purposes, make sure that there's no favoritism. He's read all of them. (laughs) Yeah. So the only time that you ever really had a chance to interact with him was when you were on the air, right? Yeah, it's the the first time we see him is when he comes out when you're up there for your first show and they say and here's their host Alex Trebek and he comes out and you're standing there like, oh my god Alex Trebek ah! there he is <laughs> <laughs> that's really him uh, so the first time we meet and the only real direct interaction we have with him is he comes over and takes a picture with you. And then he has the the chat session with you on the air, and then he comes over and talks in the at the end credits, and then afterwards you get called off to either ignominious failure or no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I felt after my last match, but you go do paperwork and you have to go back, and if you're you're the champion, you have to go get your makeup touched up, get remiked, and come back out. So there really isn't any opportunity to to really talk to him other than when you're being filmed. So. Well, it's interesting because during the commercial breaks, Alex comes down to the front of the stage and he answers questions from the audience. And he's really funny. He's really charming with them. So one of the contestants raised his hand and asked a question. I mean, it was just an innocuous, uh, what's your favorite city in the world type question, whatever. Well, Seven show coordinators <laughs> came up the aisle and accosted him like, no, you cannot ask questions. You cannot talk to Alex. Mm, and the, the no. poor guy was like traumatized before he even got on the show. Oh, it's like, yeah, wait until you're done because they they have to be so careful about all of those things. We're seated over in that area. I know maybe they figured you're 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 a professional. Maybe they figured you knew that you'd know the rules. You wouldn't be trying to pass notes back to the, the people waiting to compete or anything. Right. But we're told don't even make eye contact with your friends and family who are sitting next to you. They're right across the aisle from us. We're told not even I didn't even know where my brother was sitting until I was actually up on the stage and could see into the audience because I was just not looking, not, they don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to members of the production team unless they talk to you first. 
because presumably they know that they're whether or not they're allowed to speak to you and don't talk to Alex. He's read all the questions. It would just look bad, even though he'd obviously never give anything away. Right. Well, all of the contestants sit up in that section and they select the first two to play the champion in the the Monday game. And then like a production person comes up and almost arbitrarily will pick two other people. I don't know how they select them. And and then to make it even more random, I guess you pick what place you're going to be, whether you're going to be in the middle or whether you're going to be on the left. But they, they try to make it as random as possible. It is. The the attorney from a third part, the third-party company who supervises everything draws the contestants' names. That happens right before each match, so they have no idea who's going to play next. And they can't even guarantee that you will play that day, especially on a Tuesday. They have two extra people who will come back the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, they use what what Glenn refers to as the highly sophisticated and technical system of we draw a piece of paper out of his hand. And if you have a two, you're on podium two. If you have a three, you're on podium three. Does Weirdly, it make any difference whether you're on podium one or podium two? Do I, all I'm gonna, I, I've never been at podium two, so I don't know. But uh, <laughs> actually, I even in rehearsal, for some reason, I've always been at three or one. So um, three worked out for me. Um, I somebody people who keep much closer track of these things than I do said that James and Jason both started on podium three. So maybe podium three is lucky. Maybe it's lucky for people whose names begin with J. I don't know. There you go. So. Now, you're on the show and Alex goes, okay, let's play Jeopardy. And you see the categories for the first time. When I see him on the air, this is what I do. I'll go, Oscar winners. I go, yeah, okay, I I could do okay with that. The Bible, I'm screwed. Rivers of (laughs) Africa, (laughs) forget it. The 60s, yes, I could kick ass. Before and after, when there's that stupid, you know, Ted dancing in the moonlight thing. Oh, uh, you just gave them that idea, you know that, right? (laughs) German pet names. I mean, like, uh, so do you look at the categories and and sort of do that, or it's just like, whatever? I, the way I did it, is when I, obviously, after... When you're the returning champion, you get the opening control of the board. I just tended to stick with a lower value, something that I thought I might be able to to get a good run to start on. But especially with some of the more creative category names, you can never be 100% sure what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of went, all right, for the first one, I'll go for easy. And then later on, you can tell sometimes when we're avoiding a category. We all avoided the Pokemon category like the plague. <laughs> and the funny thing was, it turned out not to be remotely. We all thought it was going to be like in the fourth episode of Pokemon Evolution. Who, pl- who was the voice actor in the English language? To- no, we all thought it was going to be like that. But it was really things like a Pokemon, like a person who trains, who who preps race racehorses. The Pokemon is called a, oh, it's a trainer. Okay. It was stuff like that, but we had avoided it the entire the entire match because nobody wanted to find out if it was going to be some ridiculously hard one. And then I know some people love the word play categories. Those are the ones where I'm like, oh God, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to, the, the, they took it to a whole new level with the greatest of all time though, with the three part ones. 
I know it's supposed to be the greatest of all time, but hold. My assumption is that when it comes to time to write those categories, the writers wait until it's like two in the morning and there's a lot of caffeine and alcohol and sleep deprivation involved. That's that. That's my only theory on how they can possibly come up with some of these. Lightsaber metrics is the one that <laughs> I remember from the thing. Hey, really, guys? Really? How 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 little sleep and how much coffee were you on when you when that one came to you? But it, obviously, I remember it, so it it made an impression, which is what they want to do. Yeah, and even Alex sometimes will take shots at them. We'll go, oh. well, the writers were certainly being cute <laughs> <laughs> this week. I love the writers at the moment, of course, because my name was in a clue recently, which uh, is I, like the only way I'm ever going to get on Jeopardy. Well, you know, we could be on Celebrity Jeopardy. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Writer's episode. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm like, I've been on the show. You've been a clue on the show, which is pretty much how you arrive. I mean, that that's when you know you've made it is when you are an answer on Jeopardy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about the buzzer. Where I was sitting, you know, there's that people, sometimes you see it on camera where there is like just a ring of people sitting behind monitors and the person whose shoulder I was looking over had a monitor where she could see when you were buzzing in, who was buzzing in, who buzzed in first, who buzzed in early, that sort of thing. And I have to say, I found myself watching that as much as as I was watching the game because that was fascinating. How you deal with the buzzer is absolutely key, isn't it? It's really, really critical, and it it's such a tiny amount of time. The system they have there, I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but the acronym is actually ELVIS, um, and it lets them see the big thing is, are you buzzing in early? Because everybody thinks there's an automated system or something, but there's a very technical method um, when Alex or a guest reader or an audio clue is finished, a gentleman sitting over at the judge's table presses a button. Some lights come up on either side of the board, and that tells us that our buzzers have been unlocked. So it's a, one guy's rhythm of, of when he decides to push the button. And then if you come in before he has pushed that button, I've got my lovely little Jeopardy pen. People, uh-huh. people listening, I have a little little pen with a little buzzer clicker that they give us at um, at the auditions and in the green room. So I have a collection of these. Is that what you use to practice? I do use this to practice. I will play along with um, the TV. I played along with the greatest of all time, but holy cow, those guys are fast. <laughs> they are terrifyingly fast on the buzzer. But you've got, an, I, I think it's a quarter second lockout if you hit too early. And when that happens, that's a quarter second. It sounds like nothing, but someone else can get right in there when they hit after the buzzer unlocks. And if you're chronically ahead of the game where you're chronically hitting uh, a little bit early, then they can see that on that monitor and they will come up and they will tell you, okay, you're really jumping the gun all the time. You're really getting in ahead. And they also are constantly saying, you're not going to get in every time. You're not going to ring in every single time you try. Just keep hitting the, hitting, keep hitting the, the button until somebody's podium lights up and Alex calls on them. But don't panic if you don't get in every single time. 
Yeah, when there's a commercial break, because they show this sometimes on TV, but I noticed that every time there's a commercial break, these production assistants would go out and talk to you guys. What were they saying? Were they, they coaching you? What were they saying? Sometimes it's coaching. Um, I got to hear this obviously more than more than once. Uh, when I was there, it was Karina and Ryan were doing it most of the time. And part of it is just calming us down or pepping us up. Uh, a big thing is remember, get it wrong, shake it off, just keep going. So one of the worst things that can happen is when you get something wrong and you get it wrong again, and then you get this cascade effect. So they're telling you, calm down. The commercial breaks a breather for us. It kind of breaks that if there's momentum, and especially if it's bad momentum, it breaks it for you. They'll tell you that. Um, a assistant brings us water if we want it. If somebody's having a buzzer problem, they will point it out to them. And also, if you know if there's something going on where they need us to be quiet, then our wranglers come up. Like if, if Alex is doing pickups on a, a, mis, a misspeak or a stammering on a clue or mispronounce something, they'll come over and they'll be holding us down and trying to keep us, you know, from making any noise. Cause apparently our microphones are so sensitive that Mitch, the sound guy, who's a lovely person, uh, can hear our heartbeat. <laughs> wow. He actually told me, my line, you know, I can hear your heart beating when they're on there. Cause my, my mic's usually pinned to my collar and I'm like, probably like, you're not too bad. Good. I know if I have a heart attack, the sound guy will hear it immediately and be able to. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but I think everybody up there is probably just like got their heart racing. The oh, whole I'm time. sure. I'm I'm sure. It it must just sound like you know the opening riffs of Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. <laughs> dun, dun, but dun. I remember recently there was uh, a, a woman contestant. That very thing happened where she got an answer wrong and then she got the next one wrong and she spiraled down to where she was like behind like $6,000 in the hole. And you just felt so sorry for her because she just obviously was petrified it was, on camera. It was just, I, I was watching that and initially I'm thinking, okay, she's got a really strange buzzer technique and that's probably kind of throwing her off. She was holding it almost, ver- almost horizontal, you know, parallel to the floor, and I'm, and then, but it's just like, and then I can see, oh, she's, you know, she's letting get to her, and it's like, I want to give this woman a hug, because you can tell she's like, she's she's letting it get to her, and once that starts, it's so hard to stop. You just it gets in your head, and you can't get it back. Mm-hmm. And I think every everybody who has ever been on that show who was watching, I think just wanted to give her a hug. And I gather from some people who are in the audience, Alex actually did give her a hug after final because she just she it, it's a really, really tense situation. And she's she's the one where some people online were very cruel being the internet. But it's just like, no, you get on the show and you see how your nerves are when the lights go down, the music comes on and Johnny Gilbert is saying your name. See how well you do, because it's so easy to let it get to you. And it goes so quickly. You just feel like, oh, my God, I have to keep playing, have to keep playing. And if your brain is not kicking into gear, it's just not going to happen. So it's really tough to just, uh, again, with the greatest of all time, guys, you wonder how do they just play through like that and how did they do it in ken's case so many times i mean 74 games in a row he came back and he just was 
got things wrong. Okay, just keep going. Lost it. Okay, just keep going. It's just amazing when you've actually done it, then you can understand what, how that, things like that can happen. And the buzzer is horribly frustrating. Sometimes you're just like, I swear you're not working. This thing is not working. <laughs> but you must have an advantage as a champion because you've done it. So it seems like the more you have done it, probably the easier it goes. I know Ken Jennings in an interview said what he does is really kind of key off of Alex and his inflections. And I guess after a while, you just get into a rhythm. Yeah. And, and another thing, Ken mentioned this in his book, Brainiac. Um, they changed who was doing the buzzer activation in the season break on him. And he had to get back into this new rhythm with this person. For me, I kind of did a combination. I'd, I'd listen for Alex. I, I read the last word of the clue. So I knew when he was coming to it and kind of like be listening to him, but also kind of keep a soft eyes on the lights. So I wanted that like sweet spot of as Alex gets the last word and the lights come up, then hit the buzzer. And if you get into that, it, it works. It worked really well. Um, I didn't know until I looked recently, there's a, a website, the Jeopardy fan and he does things like buzzer first in percentages I'm, I don't know how he, he must love math much, much, much more than I do. But um, my first match, mine was something like 59%, which really, really high. But it, it's, if you get in the zone, it works. But if you slip, if you get off, you know, off your game and then you start panicking about it, which I, I have no idea how I managed not to do that, but as I'm normally very prone to that kind of thing. <laughs> and I just kept going. But if you, if you lose it, you just have to, Karina likes to say, shake it off, shake it off. Like a Taylor Swift song, just shake it off and keep coming back in. And those breaks uh, for the commercial really help because you can stop, you can wait, you, okay, everybody's on hold. I can think for a minute. I can breathe. I can get a drink. I can listen to Alex answer the same questions over and over from the audience. He probably gets asked his favorite book or favorite movie or favorite city a hundred times a day, but he, he, he's always so nice about it. This is the thing. Everybody on that production is so nice to everybody. Even when you're, you're, you know, Joe contestant number 3000 that we've seen in the last six months, everybody's really kind to you. They know you're here because you really love the shows. And there you go. That's part one of my two-part interview with author Jennifer Quayle. I say author Jennifer Quayle because she's written some anthologies and books. And if you are interested, she has a, a website, authorjenniferquayle.com. Also, you can follow her on Twitter, at Jennifer Quayle. She has an Amazon authors page, Jennifer Quayle. And uh, believe it or not, she's on Facebook, as author Jennifer Quayle. Next week, part two, and more about Jeopardy. Okay, our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Bruce and Jason Miller, John Wolfert, and Howard Hoffman. If you want to get in touch with me, I have books too, you know, uh, at Ken Levine on Twitter, Hollywood and Levine on Instagram. And if you want to write me, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. What is part two of Jeopardy! with Jennifer Quayle? That is next week. Talk to you then. Hollywood. 
Love, bye.